On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, Jessica finds herself stuck in bed, and she overhears a murder plot on the telephone, and it's up to her, Seth, yes, he's back, and her nephew, Grady, to solve the crime. Hello, and welcome to the Murder, She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s-90s show, Murder, She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony, six-time Tony Award winner, 12-time Emmy-nominated, multiple Golden Globe winner, Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 13, Crossed Up, air date February 1st, 1987. I think. Let me double check that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Alright. As always, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the murderer. The suspects, everything in between. You can't do a murder show podcast without doing that. And, uh, so sorry about that. Anyway. <laughs> All 12 seasons are currently streaming on the Roku channel, as well as the t- four TV movies that preceded Murder, She Wrote. If you own the DVDs, like I do, get out your season 3 disc set, insert disc 4 into your duty player. This is the first episode on that disc. Seasons 1 through 5 are currently streaming on, on Freebie, formerly IMDb TV app. And all 12 seasons are in the NBC, NBC's Peacock app, but you had to shell out $5 to be able to watch it because it's on premium now. Alright, without further ado, um, let's talk about this episode. So first and foremost, before I do, <laughs> um, I know that we're all still grieving. Like, I still miss her, and it's all so fresh and new, and, and I miss her a lot. I, I really do, just as much as I miss my father, because she was like an old friend. But as I said before... You know, she's not really gone, because every time we turn on an episode of Murder, She Wrote, she's always there. And as she would say in theater, the show must go on. And so let's continue enjoying Murder, She Wrote, as she would have loved us to have done. This episode is one of my favorites. Like, I I completely love this episode. Um, As much as I loved the last one, the course flew first class, as well as the Night of the Headless Horseman. We're getting some good ones for the month of Halloween, aren't we? And we're moving along through 1987. I bet you lots of horror movies were released around this time. But I'll check up on that towards the end of the episode. So we have, um, in this episode, another person who recently passed away, I believe, uh, last month, I, I think, Tony Dow, who played the role of Wally on Leave it to Beaver. He's in this episode. 
and he does a really good job in this episode. I liked it. This episode was inspired by a movie that I have never seen before, um, but I would like to because I love classic movies like on Turner Classic Movies. This is to based on a movie called Sorry Wrong Number that was released in 1948 starring Barbara Strand, uh, Stanwyck about a bedridden woman who accidentally overhears a crosswires telephone call in which a murder is being planned. <laughs> so they just wanted to pay tribute to that. And I think that's nice. I really do. And apparently the lightning boat shown the lightning bolt shown during the storm is the same one shown during the opening credits of Gilligan's Island only flipped. Alright. And apparently Henry Brandon, who plays the killed character of Abel Gorshi, this was his last TV part nearly in in his nearly half a century long career. And Hurricane Ida is said to have hit Cabot Cove. In real life, Hurricane Idol, Ida hit the, the Louisiana coast on, on August 29th, 2021 with winds of 150 miles per hour. One day before this, episode aired on Hallmark Channel Mysteries and Movies. Isn't that interesting? And speaking of another thing that's interesting, um, a lot of facts are coming out about, about Angela Lansbury since her death. Um, and this one is particularly very fascinating. She apparently pushed for the hiring of actors who were considered out of their prime and weren't necessarily highly not necessarily hired to be in movies or shows or whatever kind of like the guy who played Dorian Gray in the picture of Dorian Gray she did this so that they could receive their insurance claims you know so that they would continue to get coverage and also so they could work and I think that was very nice and generous of her casting actors from the golden age of Hollywood from her days of Hollywood and that she had that much influence in the casting. I love that. All right. So now let's get into the episode and I hope everyone is doing okay. We miss her, but she still lives on whenever we watch an episode of murder. She wrote, all right. Oh, before I actually get into the episode, I know, Squirrel, you never know where, what, what I'm going to do with my ADHD. What can I say? All right, so I got my first ever hate comments, not on this podcast, but on one of my YouTube videos on YouTube. A woman, I don't know her name, and I'm not going to, you know, say her name even if I knew it decided to comment on one of my videos, I'm not sure which one, and said, Oh no, you're painful to listen to. Could you stop? 
I immediately deleted her comment, removed it, and didn't even respond to it. And I have to say, you know, if you go and listen to those episodes I did on YouTube, I was finding my footing. I was a completely different person back then. I was trying to find my place in the world, trying to, you know, figure out how to do a podcast because I didn't know how to do one. And then people started listening to me. I had an over a thousand views in the summer of 2021. And then I had to start all over again and did it here on the Anchor app, which was a big, huge deal for me. And the fact that I am now halfway through season three is amazing to me. And it's because of all of your support that you, and people have told me, you know, they enjoy the podcast. And it's like, this is my opinion, if you care about it, that if you watch something or you listen to something and maybe it is that you don't like it, then go and click off of it, remove the video from your watch list. You don't need to leave a comment insulting that person because that shows what type of person you are, not the type of person that I am. And the old me would have totally been upset, but I wasn't. I was like, well, that's your opinion. Who cares? Because people have told me that they enjoy this podcast and I enjoy doing it. And I chose Murder, She Wrote because it's one of my comfort shows that I like to watch whenever I'm not feeling so great emotionally or whatever. And through doing this podcast, it's helped me a lot with my grief over my father dying in April because it takes my mind off of my troubles. And I just love, you know, the fact that I haven't seen these episodes in a long time and now you're getting my complete unbiased opinion. And I've found my rhythm and I've found, you know, how I'm going to do it. And list the listeners keep going up every single day. I don't even know how much listeners or followers I have because I don't know how that works. But I appreciate every single one of you. And as I said before, I'm going to continue until the bitter end. And I don't care what other people say. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words aren't going to hurt me, lady. I'm going to continue doing what I do and you continue what you're going to do. And we will get along fine. And now we're going to talk about the episode, I swear. (laughs) Uh, You should be used to the things I do here for you long-term listeners. You new listeners, I apologize if uh, I haven't gotten to the episode yet for you. All right. So we start... (laughs) Excuse me. We start off this episode. We see, like, I'm... I'm guessing that it's like stock footage from like an actual hurricane because it doesn't look like they're trying to create a hurricane because from what I could see, it just doesn't match up with what's happening. Like I found like a funny thing throughout this episode is that during convenient times, it's raining and the wind is going and the rain is going. But then in other times, it's completely calm where nothing's happening at all. You know, weather convenience for the scene. And this episode was very different than the others. Like, Jessica's confined to bed. Normally, 
we get to know the suspects and who we're dealing with through her and we don't get to do that in this episode so it's kind of hard to figure out what the motive would be to kill the person who gets killed and why and all of it hinges on you know sort of guesswork from like the outside looking in versus when jessica is actually in the crime investigating we get to know a little bit about the victim before he gets killed and in this episode we don't at all and i'll explain so jessica is confined to bed because she has thrown out her back her nephew grady is visiting from new york i think this is grady's first season three appearance i might have to look at his profile to see um, because I'm not sure. I can't remember. But I think it is his first season three appearance. Grady has been a recurring character since the beginning. There's a lot of people who do not like Grady. They say that he is an annoying character. And, but without Grady, Jessica wouldn't have been a mystery novelist, in my opinion. I think I said that in the last episode I was talking about him. I don't know. But anyway, Grady um, appears in this episode. Seth is back. Thank goodness. I guess Wiley was a one-off character that they decided didn't work. It was really weird. And Amos is, of course, in this episode. And he's written very strangely, I would have to say. I mean, they're, like, again, dubbing him down. And there's no continuity between the Cabin Cove episodes to this one. And I'll explain. So Jessica's lying in bed and and Grady comes up and brings some uh food to her and says and she says, Oh Grady, I hope it's not another tuna omelet and he lifts it up and says, It's tuna surprise Yeah, I'm not a big fan of tuna. The cats can have it. I don't want it. I don't understand why people like tuna. Tuna is weird, and it gives you really bad breath. So why would you want to eat tuna? I don't know, but anyone to their own thing. You just go ahead and do you, guys. And girls. Anyway. Um, Seth comes to check in on Jessica. She has to be laid up for, I think he said five weeks because she threw her back out. But we don't know exactly how or why. But she's had trouble with her back various times throughout the series. And and uh, they, she's not very happy. And when she tells Grady to go batten down the hatches to prepare for Hurricane Ida, she like begs Seth, oh, please bring me some food. She was like, Grady means well, but I think he bought every can of tuna in Cabot Cove that there is to buy. <laughs> so later that night, she gets on the phone to call the weather service, which is something that you did in the 80s and the 90s, um, unless you watch the news. But then again, the news wasn't like 24-7 like it is now. Um, there was a certain time the news had to be on and there wasn't, there wasn't a weather channel. I don't think back then, 
that didn't come until way later. And uh, so Jessica's calling the weather service, and this is when she overhears the murder plot. She hears two men saying, and one of them in a really creepy, raspy voice, the old man must be killed tonight. Just like that, he says, tonight. Just like that. It's so weird. They can't hear her, but she can hear them. At that moment, the storm blows open Jessica's window and knocks down her telescope. Yeah, she has a telescope. She calls for Grady. He comes in and goes to the window right away to shut it and lock it and keep it locked so that the storm won't blow it in again. And she hands him the phone and says, listen to this, listen to this. But the phone has hung up. Jessica writes it all down and says that a worthy man, a rich man on an estate, is going to be killed tomorrow night at 9, between 9 and 11 p.m. So Seth comes over and immediately is treating this like Jessica is absolutely batshit crazy. Oh man, I'm going to have to mark this as explicit because I just said the S word. Oh man, I'm sorry. It happens, what can I say? Well anyway, he's thinking that she's, she's crazy. And he's sort of like talking to her like like she's kind of like a child. Oh, yeah, we'll totally figure this out. And she goes, stop patronizing me. Both of you, stop this nonsense, both of you, and just find Amos. So now we get introduced to a new place in town to eat. Mona's Diner. Like in Keep the Home Fries Burning in Season 2, we were told that the only place to eat was Dixon's Diner. And then the Joshua Peabody Inn opened and Dixon's Diner's customers went there. But then the Joshua Peabody Inn ended up closing because everybody got poisoned by strawberry preserves. So then Dixon's Diner was open. But then there was that one little restaurant and if a body met a body, but they didn't say what the name of that was. And now suddenly Dixon's Diner is gone and Mona's Diner is there. It doesn't make any sense. There's this weird man um, with a beard sitting at the counter. He asks for some coffee. He seems very rude and very mysterious. Grady gets on Jessica's bike and decides to ride to find Amos. And uh, the guy sees... Amos coming in and immediately sneaks out the back window, gets in his van and nearly runs Grady down. Grady then goes in and tells Amos that Jessica thinks that a murder is going to happen here in Cabot Cove. And this is another thing that really annoys me about this episode. I loved it for the most part, but this annoyed me. They're acting like there has never been a murder in Cabot Cove ever. And there has been multiple murders in Cabot Cove at this point. We're talking from the very first episode at the, after the pilot movie in Deadly Lady. And there was literally two women who were killed by the local realtor, Harry Pierce. So, I mean, and Amos's response is literally cabin fever was bound to happen. Like, this is coming completely out of left field and Jessica would make something like this up. I mean, does he not know her? 
but he decides to go over there. He insists that Jessica could have heard anyone, but she claims that she heard one of the guys mention County Road 26, which is no longer called that. It's called something else now. Sorry about that. Someone was driving by. I have the... I have my patio door open because uh, it has been really nice since this is the month of fall and I get hot very easily and my neighbors downstairs have been putting their heat on. It's been way too early and I have a sensitivity to heat so I got the door in my bedroom window open. So if you hear some noises from out there, I apologize. There's no way for me to edit it out. I don't have any fancy smancy software like that and it costs too much money anyway. Anyway... Um, Amos is like, okay, well, but nobody is going to be murdered in this town in Cabot Cove tonight. Uh, well, yeah, he is. And we know nothing about this guy. This is the thing. Another thing that annoys me about the episode is we know nothing about this guy. Um, we know that he lives in a big house somewhere in Cabot Cove. Cabot Cove is supposed to be a small town, but yet... There's a mansion somewhere that's never been mentioned before. And this guy, um, da -da -da -da. Jedediah Rogers is found shot. On his his uh, lavish estate, so so again, we don't know anything about this guy. He just ends up murdered, and there's nothing else. Like we don't know what he did. You know, he apparently was a resident of Cabot Cove. Jessica says she only saw him a couple of times. He's not an important person in her life. We meet his sons. Which are... Uh, Gordon Rogers is... The one played by Tony Dowell. Adam Rogers. And Morgan Rogers. Um, Morgan Rogers is introduced first. He comes in. Talks to Sheriff Tupper. And, and Seth is like, so, do you got a recipe for Crow? Basically implying, you know, you said that. That uh, there wasn't going to be a murder in Cabot Cove. Surprise. Um, Morgan basically tells him he was out fishing at a cabin. But doesn't have an ironclad alibi. He looks in a drawer and finds nothing. Then Adam comes by. And he also looks in the drawer. But finds there's nothing in there. Since Jessica is confined to her bed, 
she decides to have Grady be her eyes and ears. He goes to the murder scene and sketches it and runs into Leslie Cameron. Um, Mr. Rogers was her grandfather. And the thing that they were looking for in the drawer happened to be his diary. He didn't like his sons very much. The only time that we get introduced to Gordon is when Amos goes to his work, which I don't even know what it is. And we briefly get introduced to his wife, Dodie, which is a weird name. Um, but other than the fact that they're his sons and he was rich, that's all we know. We don't know about his personality, what he did to be murdered, and why. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. But I love the episode for, like, the twists and turns. And Jessica's upset because she's not able to stop the murder. She knows it's going to happen, but she can't stop it. So Grady learns from Leslie that her grandfather hated his sons and was going to change the will so that she would inherit everything including his estate and everything in between. We learn from Adam that Dodie is not a very nice woman. She devotes the majority of her time to their dog or their cat. No, their cat. And that poor, um, his brother, Gordon, doesn't get as much um, time or whatever. to any any much of her time or something. And that's pretty much all we know about their character. No information is given that much. But Amos immediately goes to, well, this was a burg this was a burglar because the window was smashed. This conclusion makes no sense because Amos himself goes through the safe and finds that there is expensive jewelry still there. So it clearly was not a theft. So then they realize Jessica remembers the conversation of saying that the that the man with the raspy voice basically told the other man or the other man told the guy with the raspy voice, sorry, um, that he had grown a beard so nobody would recognize him. And he hadn't been to Cabot Cove for years. Grady then explains that the guy tells them about the guy who ran him down, had a beard in a van with New York plates. Basically, they deduce that this is Abel Gorsi, who apparently did some sort of crime, was in jail for like four years, and vowed to get his revenge on Mr. Rogers. Well, they track down his cabin, and Amos is able to get some deputies and stuff out there. And eventually they find that Mr. Mr. Gorsi is dead. And there was quite a lot of blood. Um, at first it appears that he fell down the stairs while he was drunk. But basically Seth says, uh, no, he was hit in the head. And clearly there's a bottle next to him with his blood on it. I don't know if it's supposed to be blood or if it's the wine, but it seemed like the most graphic 
crime scene I've seen so far on Murder, She Wrote. Because they couldn't show a lot of blood and gore in those days, at least not on TV. From what I remember hearing about the, the rating system or whatever, in a documentary I watched on something, I can't remember what, but that popped up, probably horror movies, because they were talking about the Motion Picture Association of America. But anyway, um, so he's dead as well. But Seth deduces that he was killed literally a day or two before Mr. Rogers was killed. Oh boy, isn't that interesting? And also, I'm just now realizing that his last name is Mr. Rogers, and I can't believe they used that name. Because, you know, you never want to think of a Mr. Rogers being murdered. <laughs> I mean, it's Mr. Rogers, people. So, at this point, Jessica's completely stumped, and she can't get, like, who could be the man with the, with the raspy voice? Who could it be? So, Amos's theory about, the, about it being a burglar gone wrong is debunked. The guy being, being killed before he can complete the job not fall, not falling to his death, but actually getting killed, is debulked, and Mrs. Fletcher is stumped, and so is he. And she says, well, if I could hear their voices, you know, maybe I'll be able to figure out who the raspy voice is. And Amos said, but none of them has a raspy voice. She says, yes, Amos, but what I think of a raspy voice might not be what you think of a raspy voice. But there was only a way I could hear them. He said, well, maybe I can wire myself and tape them. And this is by far the most hilarious scene. So he goes to their place of work. Dottie, um, so Adam, Gordon, and what was the other one's name? I'm so sorry. Morgan are all there. I don't know exactly what the um their work is. It looks like they're surrounded by lumber, so I'm consider I'm thinking that it's like something to do with like wood or something. But like every time one of them speaks, like Amos jumps from one to the other and they don't find that this is weird behavior. Like, as soon as they start talking, he, like, jumps over and, like, goes so that he can tape what they're saying. Eventually, the press shows up and Dottie shows up with the dog. No, cat. Is it a dog or a cat? I can't remember. But Gordon is allergic. So Amos goes back to Jessica's house and figures out how to play the tape, but they can't really hear the voices because they can hear various, like, like his body making noises because it's like a, a cassette uh, sort of recorder that would pick up every single sound. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish those things were still around. 
but anyway, uh, <laughs> so she can't figure out from any of the voices, but then the TV goes on and Gordon, for some reason, is the family spokesman and basically says that they have every confidence that they're going to continue with their business and they're sorry that their father has died. And Jessica goes, that's it. That's the man with the raspy voice. So Gordon is arrested, but it just seems too convenient. Eventually, Jessica gets the phone records back from her friend at the telephone company, and she finds that Gordon placed a call to the hitman so he couldn't have killed his father that night. Grady gives Jessica a pizza as a surprise, and him and Seth go to help people at the shelter. And Mr. Rogers' granddaughter decides to go to Paris to become a fashion designer. And Grady has a crush on her. Anyway, that night, the killer cuts the phone lines and the power goes up to Jessica's room and the killer is revealed to be Dodie. This was like a complete surprise because we don't know much about Dodie's character. We only know that she devotes more of her time to her dog than her husband. She doesn't have very many scenes. She doesn't speak to the sheriff. She's barely in the episode and she's revealed to be the killer. It makes absolutely no sense at all. But apparently Mr. Gorsi was blackmailing her so she killed him first and then killed her father-in-law so that she and her husband would get all the money. Jessica makes an announcement and says that she's getting out of bed and she doesn't give a crap who says she can't. And she decides to get up and walk around and to be herself. She sends Grady on the train that just so happens to be that that Leslie's going to be on. And that's that. And overall, I love this episode. I just wish that we got to know the characters a little more to understand why they decided to kill their father. I mean, there's no mention of him being a bad guy. And there's no mention of him... Like, what he did to get his fortune and the fact that no one in Cabot Cove seemed to know him was really, really weird. And the fact that they acted as if no one in Cabot Cove had ever been murdered. I hated that, too. But the actors did the best with their with the material they were given, and especially Angela, like, basically saying, Look, I'm not freaking crazy. I know what I heard. I just love it. She makes any episode better if it's a dud. But overall, I loved it. Let's go over the guest stars. Colleen Camp played our killer. And I think she's known for being in the Police Academy movies, if I'm not mistaken. She's still with us. She had her birthday on June 7th. Happy belated birthday. She's known for Shiver, 1992. Clue, 1985. Oh, wow. I didn't realize. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, 1995. And Wayne's World, 1992. 
Wow, she's in post-production for so many things. Um, the Trainer, Lake, Mead, All Happy Families, and Black Skies. Wow, so she's still... You go, girl. She was even in the failed reboot of The Twilight Zone. Which was really weird. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe she wasn't in the Police Academy movies. I'm not sure. She's been in so many things. Oh, she was in the Ice Storm. She guest starred on Roseanne. I don't remember her being on that. Oh, she was in the Babysitter's Club. In the movie Gordy, thirty-something <laughs> tales from the crypt. Oh, she'll appear in another episode of Murder She Wrote in nineteen eighty-eight. Oh yes, I was right. She was in the Police Academy movies, all the way into Police Academy Four. Oh, but she wasn't in Police Academy Three. She was in Police Academy Two. And one in four. She also was on Magnum P.I. Smokey and the Bandit Part 3. Which everybody says was the worst movie ever made. I recorded it on my DVR and I'm going to watch it. Just because I'm curious. Because it was on TV the other night. She was in Funny Lady. Which was a sequel to Funny Girl. And her first credit was Marcus Welby MD. Which will go over like more of her roles when we get to that episode which is a good one I think I remember that one and of course Tony Dowell played Gordon playing the role of Wally on Leave it to Beaver yes he died on, in jo July. I thought it was last month. I wasn't sure. He was 77. He, of course, was known for Leave it to Beaver, Babylon 5, Star, Star, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and Crusade, 1999. His last known credit was something called Suspense, a TV show. From 2015 to 2016. He got started in Diagnosis Murder, Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, Freddy's Nightmares, The New Leave It to Beaver, The Love Boat. Oh, this is the only episode of Murder she wrote. The New Mike Hammer, Knight Rider, Still the Beaver. And he was another one of those. That was a really great actor, but got stuck being in the trope of a night of like the perfect family on television and didn't get to shy away from that um, and was always brought back to be in that. So that must have been hard. Um, but he was also on Emergency, Mod Squad, Love American Style, Adam 12, The Lassie, My Three Sons, The Greatest Show on Earth, The 11th Hour. And he was originally... Before joining um, Leave it to Beaver, 
or no, after Leave it to Beaver, he was on General Hospital when it premiered in 1963. But there's probably no footage of him that exists from that time. But maybe he got reunited with Angela Lansbury. Leslie was played by Stephanie Durnham. I think she looked familiar to me, but I'm not sure. And she wore weird clothes that kind of looked like a napkin with a vest. It just did not look good. Um, she is known for Emerald Point, N-A-S, I have no idea. Silent Rage, 1992, The Practice, TV show, and Magnum P.I. She is currently filming something called Beach Chain. She was in Ozark, Queen Bees, so she's still acting. You go, girl. Uh, she was in Boston Public, The Practice, ER, Chicago Hope, and she will appear in another episode of Murder, she wrote, in 1996. Boys, are going to be a while till we get there. But she is pretty good. Let's see if this is Michael Horton's uh, first, third season appearance. Just double check on that. I'm just checking on that because, wow, speaking of Mr. Rogers, he was, he was in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't remember seeing that the last time that I looked him up. Isn't that amazing? And voice John Jameson. Okay, let's see. Yes, this is his this is his first season three appearance. Because his last appearance before that was Christopher Bundy died on Sunday and that was in the last season. Alright, just want to double check on that. Alright, okay, James Conrail June Jordan played the role of one of the sons. He is known for Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Uh, he's still with us. Um, Six Underground, Blake, Black Snake Moon, and Haddonfields and McCoys. He's in post-production for something called No Way Up. Air Force One is down. Haddonfields and McCoy, he played the sheriff. Um, oh, he was in Are You Afraid of the Dark? I love Are You Afraid of the Dark. Oh, he was in Death, Death Takes a Curtain Call in Season 1. Huh, I don't remember. But he will appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote, after this one. And he played Adam Rogers. Sorry, I forgot temporarily. <laughs> Mona, who owns Mona's Di Diners, played by uh, Gacy McKenzie. She died in 2003 at the age of 76. She's known for The Young and the Restless, The Sid Casser Show, Blake's Law, and Firestar First Contact. 
last known credit, Boy Meets World. Um, MacGyver, this is her only episode of Murder She Wrote, so, so there won't even be a Mona's Diner in another episode then. Um, on Young and the Restless, she played Catherine Chancellor in 1996. Blake's Law was a TV show. Wow, she wasn't in a lot of stuff. She was only in 17 different projects, and her first known credit was in 1953 in Camp Jubilee, and she was also on the hit parade. Interesting. So she must have been a singer. Morgan Rogers was played by Sandy McPeak. He died in 1997 at the age of 61. He's known for Kelly's Heroes, 1970, Patton, 1970, Continental, 1979, and The Gallant Man, Men, 1962 to 63. Uh, last known credit in 1994, Willington Road, L.A. Law. Oh, Quantum Leap, the original. Love that. He will appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote in 87 and 1990. So we'll go over more of his guest starring roles when we get there. Alright, let's see here. And Abel Gorsi was played by Henry Brandon. He died in 1990 at the age of 77. He is known for... The Searchers, 1956, Assault on Precinct 13, 1976, The Ten Commandments, 1956, and March of the Wooden Soldiers, 1934. Alora and Hardy Picture. And I have seen The Ten Commandments multiple times because that was one of my grandma's favorite movies to watch around Christmas time. I mean, not Christmas time. So sorry. Um, Easter. Easter. I don't know why the hell I said Christmas. Um, and I don't remember him in that. But then again, there's so many people in that movie. Oh, he was in Little House on the Prairie. Look back to yesterday. As Otis Wagner. I don't remember. Um, this is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Kojak, the Night Stalker, the Mine Hunters. And they said, yeah, this was one of his last television roles before he retired. So he was part of the original uh, studio system, I'm sure of it. He was in the magical world of Disney. Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, Maverick, Loretta Young Show, Play of the Week. Man, I wish they still had Play of the Week. Have Gun Will Travel. Um, it would be cool to watch plays on TV again. I miss the theater. I mean, he was in a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff I've never even heard of. Movies and stuff. I mean, he acted since 1932. His first credited role would be in 1936 because for some reason, uncredited, or no, 
March of the Wooden Shoulders, Wooden Soldiers, <laughs> sorry, was his first credited role. So 1934 to uh, when was his last thing? His last known credit is Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2 in 89 after this. So that's impressive. 179 different projects. So you go, dude. This was a great... I mean, I wouldn't say great because, again, I wanted to know more about the characters. And we don't know why the guy was killed. But I loved it for, like, the twist that we did not see coming. The silent person that we did not suspect, and that was Dodie. And I absolutely loved this. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Have a great day, night, depending on when you listen to this. And I pray for peace every night before my head hits the pillow. Happy crime solving! And I'll see you in the next one.